Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, we're going to continue with exploring the kingdom today. But before we do that, I want you to grab in front of you, there's a notepad uh, in every, there's several of them in every pew. I want you to grab one. If you're sitting next to somebody with a pen and you don't have a pen, borrow their pen for a moment. I want you to uh, answer honestly. It's going to help me uh, direct where we're going even these next few weeks after Paul and Richie are here. And it's going to be quite simple and easy here, okay? So grab a notepad, grab a pen, number your notepad one through four. One, skip a space, two, skip a space, three, four. And then ushers, if you're still in the room, they might be counting, but we're, gonna, we're going to collect these in just a few minutes right down the left-hand aisle. All right, let's take a look at number one here. I want, I want some feedback. So we have, you're gonna simply put a four, three, two, or one next to these answers. Four strongly agree, one is strongly disagree. You can't stay neutral, there's not a two and a half. I don't really know. We want your feedback. Number one, this series, specifically about exploring the kingdom, has helped you gain clarity about Jesus's life and his main message. Be honest, write a four, three, two, or one. <clears throat> we got some Jeopardy music as you're thinking through your answer. <laughs> All right, Jesus's main message in his life did help you gain clarity. Let's go to number two. This series of messages specifically about exploring the kingdom has given you greater confidence to actually apply what you're learning into everyday life. Some of this has been theological in its approach, but has it actually helped you in your everyday life follow Jesus more accurately? A four, a three, a two, or a one. Not if you feel good about it, but have you actually applied things that we've been learning about these past several weeks? Strongly agree down to strongly disagree. You weren't, it won't hurt my feelings no matter what you put. You don't have to put your names on it, by the way, too. All right, number three. My personal times of worship and prayer have been more meaningful because of these messages. I was asking the Lord, what do I want to learn from this? I felt like he wants me to, to know that. Are, are you pressing in more because of uh, what you're hearing in the preaching of God's word here? So your personal times in worship and prayer, knowing that he's you're a king, knowing that you're a citizen of heaven, knowing all these things, have they helped you? Have they been more meaningful? Four, three, two, or one. We'll go to the last one is a question. Uh, we're just gonna give you about a minute to think through this. If not, you can even email. You can grab your phone and email me throughout the day, uh, uh, even at, at central, at centralconnect.org, right on our website, if you have one of these. What I'd like to know is a question that you're still having or an area that you still want to learn about regarding the kingdom of God. Hopefully, if you've been reading your, your Bible in the, uh, in the Gospels, you've seen throughout, you, your eyes have probably seen the, the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven a lot more than what you would usually see running through that. But if you still have a question or if there's a specific area that you're reading about and you're like, okay, I'd really like to learn more about that, I just want you to list that next to number four. And then we'll have the ushers come down in just, just a few minutes. I'll, I'll let you know when. We'll just pass them all the way to the left. And then just in these, in these aisles, uh, we'll have it. Again, you can email me, number four's answer, um, at, right at the church at central at centralconnect.org if you still want to think about that a little bit. All right, so as you're finishing those, you can pass those down to the left aisle. And then ushers, um, it, it'll be this final aisle here, here. It's on the left-hand side. You can come down and work your way back. While I'm talking here. 
We're going to talk about territory and citizenship today. We're going to go through a variety of different chapters here. We're going to have some fun doing it. When you think of that word territory, territory is the very first thing that God gave man. When you think about it, to have a kingdom, a king must have territory. And territory is the very first thing that God gave to Adam and Eve, right? He gave them the Garden of Eden to tend to and to govern over. Now think about this. The earth was the territory given to man to rule over. With what? The government of heaven, right? We were, not roll, we were not to roll over other people. We were to roll over the land, the animals, the birds, and so on. In Genesis 1.26, God even said, and we've read this several times this, this series, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them roll over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, when you see that phrase, let them, and let them roll over, that's the transferring of the keys of authority. That's the transferring of privilege that God said, I could do this, I'm sovereign, I would take very good care of the earth, but let them do it. There's a transfer of authority. That's when he began to hand those keys to Adam and Eve. Well, territory was the first thing given to man, and guess what the first thing lost by man was? Territory. Through sin, we lost the ability to rule over the very land we were given. Now, the good thing is, is Jesus proclaims that he brought the kingdom of heaven back to earth to reestablish it, to give us a second chance at being redeemed back to the value that God once had for us to then once again advance his kingdom until his return. And since then, we've been given keys of authority again, being in charge of binding and loosing, what we would allow to happen, God said, I'll allow, I'll allow it to happen. What we will forbid to happen, he says, I'll step in and forbid that to happen using the name of Jesus and the authority he's given us. So that's the setting for territory. A setting for citizenship. What's a citizen? It's someone who has vested, uh, who's vested in a nation or a kingdom. A citizen receives all the rights, all the privileges, and all the duties that are included in that territory. So as a citizen of God's kingdom, we have freedom and we have authority to operate as God's royal family because there are no peasants in God's kingdom. There are princes and there are princesses. There are no peasants. So we have to understand whether you feel like it or not, he has placed you into a position of being in his royal family the moment you said yes to him. You might feel like a second or third cousin. You might feel like a great, great, great grandchild, but that doesn't exist in his family. He has sons and daughters, and they happen to be princes and princesses. And he happens to be the king. And we happen to have an awesome king. In Ephesians 2, verse 6 and 7, it says, God raised us up with Christ. I mean, this is amazing. When you think, we don't, we don't take time to think about verses like this. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So though we're not physically there, our spiritual life, our spirit is seated with Christ in heavenly places. How could that change? How could that change your prayer life? Think about that. Well, you don't have to feel like you're begging and working into it. And now that you've worked your emotion into it, now you finally come into the presence of God. And like you just say, hello, Father, and he looks over and he says, good morning. And you realize you're sitting right next to him because you're seated with Christ. And Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Oh, 
oh God, please, please. Yes? I'm right, I'm right here. Right? I mean, like, seriously, if you just stop, like, we could, like, I have a lot more scriptures, but, like, we could just plow through this. God chose to do this. A lot of us are on, like, behavior management plans, right? If we didn't behave well enough, we don't feel like he likes us that day, so there's no way we're even going to reach out in prayer to him. He's like, you're citizens. Like, maybe we just need to start acting like citizens of, of heaven. Maybe if our belief system was that we're actually seated with Christ in heavenly places, that we wouldn't be in behavior management, we'd be following the Holy Spirit. And then we'd realize we are seated with him. Why? It says in the coming, so in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are sown together with Christ. In Philippians 3.20, it says, our citizenship is in heaven. So what does this look like? When an American visits another country, they take that culture with them, right? So we take our habits. We take our way of living. We like to take our food with us a lot of the times if we visit another place. But even if ever so slightly, their surroundings are affected by our culture when we're interacting with people of another country. As citizens of heaven, we are bringing the realities of heaven to the people who need it most. So when we pray with somebody who's lost, we're giving them a taste of a God who loves them. When we're loving the unlovable, we're giving them a taste of what heaven looks like. We're being patient with somebody who's been nagging and nagging and nagging us. We're showing them the nature of God who reigns from heaven. So as a citizen of heaven, some of the things we've talked about already is we should know what our number one priority is. It's not to be really good citizens. It's to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So how have we explained that over the weeks? It's his heart for his people. So what our number one priority is, is to seek his heart in all things. Not to try to figure everything out. Seek his heart first, and then he gives us clarity from there. We should also be confident in knowing who our true and eternal king is. Realizing that all other man-made governments, though they try, they're flawed at best. We should also know about our constitution and what God has already written about his covenants that he wants to have with his people. We should also know even from last week, we talked about Jesus is not trying to build up a group of people who meet together in a building once a week. He is building up a people who are called out from all of the other kingdoms of the world to declare war on the enemy. Because that, remember when we looked at that word, the original word for church last week, it was, that, it was a governmental term, people being called out, and within that popular assembly, they were, they were uh, military strategy, declaring war, and electing other officials. We should also be confident, even after last week, that we've been given keys of authority to operate effectively within this kingdom. So just like citizens have privileges in nations and territories and in kingdoms, we are also privileged by God because he chose that. We give up all of our privileges and we die to ourselves, and then he pours upon us all of the privileges of heaven. And he's pleased to do it. In Luke chapter 12, because I am popping in a lot of different places, the verses will be on the screen just to save time. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking, and a lot of us see this in Matthew and you read these verses in Matthew, but it doesn't have this one statement in verse 32. But back in 22, it says, Jesus says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, 
you notice in these verses from Matthew, we started our entire uh, series on this. Life is more than food, the body more than clothes. He continues to talk through this in verse 29. Don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. The pagans of the world run after such things. Your father knows that you need them. Then he gives them their priority. Seek first his kingdom. And these things will be given to you. And then what does he say in verse 32? Do not be afraid. So now it's not don't worry, but don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So now the struggle's over. We're not trying to earn a thing from God. We're not waking up to be goody little two-shoes so then he's happy with us. The only reason why he's pleased with us is because of the blood of Jesus and his heart to love us. He's created us in his image, right? We lost that we regained it back when we accepted Christ and now he's pleased with us. So much so that he was pleased to give us his kingdom. So instead of earning and yearning and striving, receive his kingdom by faith. He's pleased to give it to us. But what amazes me is when, when I, I do studying on what these words and what these phrases mean, this one resource that I found looking at this can be rephrased like this, that your father has chosen or has considered it good to allow you to reign where he reigns. So he's sovereign. He could do whatever he wants, however he wants, wherever he wants. I say it often. But for whatever reason, he chose us to reign, not over people, right? To catch his heart for people and then to minister in love and servanthood on this earth. So he reigns, and yet he's given us the responsibility to demonstrate who he is to a lost and dying world. So how do we do that? As citizens of kingdom, how do we actually expand his territory? Well, I call these things, these different spheres of society. There's different territories, if you will. I apologize if you can't see the actual words. I'm gonna go through them and then you'll see uh, the icons there. But there's territories or spheres of society where Christians can influence people for Christ. And I want you to see where you would connect with these things in your own life. You, know, you have education up there in the top left. Maybe you're a teacher, an educator. Maybe you work for a daycare. Maybe you worked in the college realm. Maybe you're in school right now. Business, economics, if you're in the business world, you would apply there. Government, maybe you're in a governmental position. That doesn't mean that you're there full-time. Maybe some of you just run for local governments, which we have several of you in this uh, church. Medicine and science, all of the medical professionals here. Family and social, social services in the home, what happens with family units. Paintbrushes, alt, arts, culture, and sports. That's that, that aspect of entertainment. Communication and media. If you're in any type, way, shape, or form, uh, um, required to communicate in a formal way to people. Now think about this. You have an opportunity not to just say, hey, I'm witnessing for Jesus, but to actually say, God, on purpose, you placed me in one of these areas. So on purpose, I'm going to do what you've called me to do through the empowerment of the spirit and expand your kingdom within that sphere of influence. Now, some people teach, which I don't, I don't necessarily agree with. Some people teach that Christians should like strive to have places of power and authority. So we're the CEO or the president, all, all those areas. But what happens is if you start striving for power and authority in the earth, then you stop relying on the power and the authority that you've been given from heaven. So we're not, we're not, we're not on earth to try to get the highest position. What we're on earth to do is die to ourselves so we can influence people for Jesus. Now, if God sees to it to give you favor that your position rises, then you continue to roll and reign with humility. Does that make sense? So it's not like, oh, look, I used to be here and now I'm here and now I'm here and now I'm here. Look at me. No, 
Look at you. You were there. God's favor rested upon you enough that he's brought you to a position. So you use that position for the benefit of other people to advance the kingdom of God. We're not hungry for power and authority. If we haven't realized that we've already received that in the kingdom, then we need to just start there. So what I would call this is an ever-expansion, an ever-expanding uh, areas of his territory or of his kingdom. We talked about these verses either last week or a few weeks ago. I want to touch on them again. In Isaiah 9, 6, which you'll hear in churches across America during the Christmas time, we say these are the Christmas verses. These are kingdom verses. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. He's the king. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now it says in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now that's phrased a little bit different than we usually talk. We usually don't say of the increase of the government. What that's saying is there will never be an end to his government and his peace increasing. It's going to increase and increase and increase. And at some point, he comes back for the final judgment. The sheep and the goats get separated. And then guess what happens? His, his kingdom and his peace continue to increase and increase and increase in the new heaven and the new earth. It says, he will reign on David's throne and over, the king, and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So this is talking about a king who was born not to set up an earthly throne, but to set up the kingdom of God once again. And we saw it in Matthew 11 last week also about the ever-advancing kingdom of God. It says, uh, Jesus was saying uh, in Matthew 11, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and the forceful men lay hold of it. There's always an advancement. So I wanna answer a question. I'm gonna take a few minutes to look at this because we'll have conversations about end times. We'll have conversations about what's happening in the world right now. So I want to ask, how does God's government through Jesus's reign continue to increase? And how does his, continue, how does his kingdom continue to advance if Jesus teaches in Matthew 24 that things will get bad as the end approaches? Because I believe if we can see what's happening here when Jesus is teaching this, that we won't just be waiting to be sucked up in the rapture. We'll be busy doing the work of the king. So let's look at the verses. Matthew 24, uh, um, there's a whole section, so I don't have it up there. It's uh, verse 4 through 14, if you want to turn to it. Matthew 24, he's talking <clears throat> to his followers. He says, Jesus answers, starting at verse 4 of Matthew chapter 24. It says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. So we know that at, there's been people throughout the history that have claimed to be Christ himself, deceiving people. In verse six, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but, we'll see, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. This doesn't sound like great news, does it, folks? Wait, 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 wait. Of the increase of his kingdom and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There's a promise all the way back in Isaiah. And Jesus is like, hey, folks, I got bad news for you. <laughs> How does this rectify? Have you ever thought through this? 
We're talking about advancing his kingdom, yet Jesus is saying nation against nation and persecution, death. He says, you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from their faith and will betray and hate each other. Wow, this is, like, this is heavy. It could almost debilitate you from, from advancing his kingdom. It could almost get you so caught up in all the bad stuff that you stop wanting to do the good stuff. It could almost give you a, theolog- a theological stance of the apocalypse is ca- coming, I better be prepared and I'll go hide in my basement. Verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So this is my question. How can things get better, his advancing kingdom, and at the same time, things get worse, wars, persecutions, and earthquakes? Well, I believe what's going to happen as the secular world grows further and further from God, the church, those who are committed to Jesus, will grow closer and closer to God. So watch this. It's getting night outside. What do you do in your house? You turn the light on. So it is actually possible that inside your house it's getting brighter and brighter, but outside in the world it's getting darker and darker. So what happens if we stay in our house? What happens to the world? It gets darker and darker and darker. So instead of us getting brighter and brighter and brighter in here, we need to leave our house. We need to leave these walls and take the light to where it's dark. But what Jesus is saying here are things are going to get bad. There's going to be a greater gap between the, the, the world that is against God and the world that loves God. And I guarantee you there'll be a season where you can't ride the fence anymore. You can't say, yeah, I'm a Christian because I go to church and read my Bible. No, no, no. You're either following Jesus with all of your heart or you've decided to renounce him. So I believe Jesus is saying here, this is the war that we are going into. This is the condition of the earth that will be the sign of the times. But he never, ever says that his kingdom will weaken or lessen or go backward. That's what we're missing here. He doesn't want his Christians, his followers, his kingdom citizens hiding away as things get darker. Because the promise was already given in Isaiah of the increase of his kingdom. There will be no end. So you think about these things. So I started doing some research. I'm warning you, you will not be able to read the words on this. I'm just showing you a visual of graphs because I think it'll be helpful. I believe one of the biggest hindrances to us fulfilling the Great Commission is how we or what we focus on in regards to the end times. Will we focus on the signs or will we focus on the assignment? Right? Because signs of the times, we hear that a lot. But a lot of times it's based on our location. And I have a newsflash. The world does not revolve around the United States of America. Sometimes we think that like any little thing that happens, it's like it's Bible prophecy automatically. Well, like Jesus has the rest of the world to consider too when giving signs of the times. So like for instance, Africa, places of massive revival right now. There's tribes and massive revival. They would scoff at the idea that times are getting worse and worse because our U.S. Supreme Court makes a decision that we're against. They would say, what do you mean? God's moving like never before. So a lot of this is relative. So I just wanted to show you what's going on in the world. If you want to read, you could go to that first graph there. If you, you you're not, again, you're not going to see the words. Don't get frustrated. I'm just going to share with you. If you want to actually Google our world in data, it's a non-religious website, but it just shows you what's going on in the world. 
So Jesus says there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars. Nations are gonna rise up against nations. This chart is actually showing from the 1500s on to 2015, the percentage of years in which great powers of this world are at war with each other. So 1500, 1600, 1700, 1800, down. Back to 1900, 2000 to 2015, almost none at all. So you could say, but we're hearing of all these wars. Yes, it's called the internet. You hear every gunshot that takes place now. There's a reporter everywhere. Don't get nervous. We're at less war now than we have been in so many years. The next one, the absolute number of war deaths has been declining since 1947. See the spike there? It goes to 70. There's another spike. 82 is then the brown in 2007. Very, very few. These are people that are dying in actual war. Jesus said that there'll be famines, which can also represent poverty. The next one, a study in worldwide poverty says in 1820, the vast majority of people lived in extreme poverty. Now, there's been a seven-fold increase in the world population since then, but the exact opposite has happened. In a time of unprecedented population growth, we've managed to lift more people out of poverty. So we hear the stories, but these lines, the top yellow line is people living in poverty in 1820, It goes down by 2000. The second line, people living in extreme poverty from 1820 down in 1990. So there's less people. There's so many more people, seven times more the people on this earth, and yet less people percentage-wise are in poverty than was hundreds of years ago. I'm just trying to mess with you a little bit because we say things are getting so bad. (laughs) Famines from 1860s to 2016. There's a dramatic increase and famines. Now you see it pop back up. That is the 1920s to the 1960s and then decreasing. Just some statistics. Earthquakes. Jesus says there will be earthquakes. Deaths from natural disasters are decreasing dramatically. You see here in the, ni- the highest one in there is the 1920s to 1929, 30s to 39, and then you see it continue to decrease from 2010 to 2015. Verse 9 says that there will be persecution and many will turn from their faith. A very popular website ministry is called Open Doors USA. You should look into it. It gives the reality of persecution. Persecution is on a dramatic rise. Absolutely. And especially where jihadists and Muslim nations. And you see there, uh, 322 each month are killed for their faith. 214 churches, Christian properties are destroyed and so on. So persecution uh, is a major, major issue. I believe persecution alone will cause for that great falling away that Jesus is talking about. If you had to come to a decision whether you were going to go to somebody's house in their basement and worship because it was now illegal to do or potentially be beheaded, there will be people that lose their faith. But that does not mean the kingdom of God will stop advancing. So these are all signs of the times. This is what's happening in the world today. What Jesus said is absolutely going to come true. But let's keep two things in mind that he says. Back in verse 6 of Matthew 24, he says, but see to it that you are not alarmed since things, these things much must happen, but the end is still to come. So they don't have to come as a surprise and we don't have to get worried about it. We shouldn't be the ones complaining of how bad the world is getting. We're the ones holding the light. Does that make sense? If, we're, if, if your coworkers are coming to you and having conversations about how bad the world is and how bad the government is, What are you prophesying toward? What are you speaking toward? Well, Jesus said these things are going to happen. Well, okay, 
Jesus also said, don't be alarmed. Don't be worried by the things. They're signs of times. And Jesus also said this, what precipitates the end coming? This is what I believe we should focus on. Instead of the signs, we know that they're coming and we should not be alarmed by them. We should not ignore them. But if we focused on our assignment, what's the very last thing Jesus said before the end would come? I'll read it to you. It was in verse 14. I already read it once. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So are we supposed to be stocking up on extra toilet paper? Are we supposed to be advancing his kingdom until the end comes? I'm perfectly fine if you're into end times prophecy. I'm just saying I wouldn't feast on that stuff every night from 11 o'clock to midnight and then go to sleep with it. It it gives you a wrong theology. Jesus is saying, they're coming, it's coming, it's coming. Don't be alarmed. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. But when my kingdom is preached as a testimony everywhere, I'm coming. That's what I'm coming. Right? We were even joking as a staff uh, this past week. It's like pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. I don't want to be around for the bad stuff. Maybe he wants us to be here as it's getting darker because we're the only ones carrying the light. It's just our focus. You guys all right? I was like, wow, like things are really good in the earth right now. How are, what are we saying? Wars are down, poverty's down, peace is up. You hear about all the bad stuff because of the news though. But, but historically across the world, things are okay. And if they get bad and when they get bad, they don't have to concern us. We're citizens of his kingdom. That's a fun sight to a lot of interactive things to look at. It's cool. All right. So in the natural, how do territories expand? You have a stronger kingdom, invade a weaker kingdom. The stronger kingdom conquers the weaker kingdom and ultimately their government, right? The castle gets taken over. The flag gets torn down. The new flag gets put up. In a Roman empire, they would send in governmental officials called apostles. It was, it's not a religious term. It's a, it's a governmental term we've talked about earlier this year where basically these men would come in and they would teach the people and train the people to live like, act like, look like, eat like, celebrate like the Roman government until this conquered land looked exactly like the land that conquered it. So very literally, the only way for a kingdom to expand is through invasion and conquering. So when we think about that, are we called to rule and reign over other people? Say no, please say no. (laughs) We're not supposed to lord anything over people. We're supposed to tend to the earth, catch God's heart for people's hearts, and then minister. So in the natural It's a physical war of going in, taking over and establishing the new kingdom in the conquered kingdom until territory has expanded. In the kingdom that we're in, it's a spiritual war. It's not a natural war. It's a spiritual war of taking back ground that the enemy has stolen. So we're not fighting against people. It's a spiritual warfare. We're fighting against the enemy. Jesus said, he came to destroy the works of the enemy. And then later on, he said, here, I'm passing it off to you. You're called to do the same thing that I came to do. So in Ephesians 6, it talks about our actual war that we're in. It says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You've heard these verses plenty of times. 
They're against rulers and against authorities and against powers of what? Of this dark world. It's a spiritual warfare and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So when you see a person who is evil, I want you to see them as being lost before you see them as being evil. You hate them and this and I'm praying against them. How about praying for them? God, take them out. Whack them in his knees. How about this? Father, soften his heart that he would bow his knee to you. It's a completely different approach to the world's getting darker and darker and I'm afraid. And God, you can actually do it. Do you know God is actually able, he is actually able to invade the heart of the leader of North Korea. He's a lost man. How many of you have said that even? He's a lost man, he's a gone, just as quick as he dies. Okay, and he'll spend his eternity in hell. I'm not saying take it light. I'm saying if, if the Lord's given you intercession for him, then pray that he gets saved. Do you know who Paul was before he was an apostle? The chief terrorist against Christians, advocating for their death, watching as they died. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, though we live in the world, we don't wage as the war, war, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. How practical is this? Tomorrow morning when someone starts complaining about uh, the church isn't doing the job or the world's getting darker and darker and all these bad things are happening, how practical can that be to make those thoughts, take them captive, make them obedient to Christ and say, I have an assignment today. I'm not going to be confused or put down or discouraged by anything else that's going on. But we're going to fulfill the assignment that Jesus has. I'm gonna give you one example of how Jesus expanded the territory of his kingdom into new territory. Then we're going to uh, just enter into a short time of worship and we're gonna pray that the Lord would continue to embolden us and impassion us to expand the territory of his gospel. If you wanna turn with me to Luke chapter eight, I'm not gonna read verse, verse by verse. I'm just gonna give you the scenario and hit on a few verses here. In Luke chapter eight, starting at verse 26, this is where Jesus and his disciples, they are entering into a region of the Gerasenes, it's called. It's across the Lake of Galilee. <clears throat> what happens here is Jesus meets a man who's, possessed, who's demon possessed. It says a long time the man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but lived in the tombs. So how many of you know this man is very, very, very far from God? Naked living in tombs. Jesus sees him, he cries out, he, or he, yeah, he cries out, he falls at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus? I beg you, don't torture me. Because Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. It's as many times it seized him, and though he was chained by hand and foot under guard, he broke the chains that had been driven by the demon into solitary, uh, solitary places. Jesus asked what his name was. He says legion, which means many they ask if they can go into a herd of pigs. Jesus gives them permission. We're not going to get into any of that right now. Demons come out of the man. They go into the pigs. The pigs rush over and they drown. Those that were tending to the pigs, verse 34, they ran off. They reported to the town what happened. The people came to see. Verse 35, watch what happens. People come to see. When they came to Jesus, they found the man 
from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. So he just experienced the most major miracle of his entire life. And what are the people's response? They're afraid. Look, what in the world just happened? So sometimes if people see a move of God, it might make them nervous. It's good to have relationship with people to be able to talk things through and show them scriptures. This man completely delivered sitting at the feet of Jesus. Well, they want him to go. People are saying, please get out of town. I don't want any more pigs to die. Just leave. Verse 39, watch what happens now. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, right? Because Jesus touches your life and you're like, I just want to be with you now. I want to go with you. I want to be close to you. He begged him to go with him, but Jesus sent him away. This is his evangelism training. You've been set free for a few hours. Go head out. (laughs) He says, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town. Now, in a different gospel, it says that he went to the Decapolis, which is a group of 10 cities. They're Gentile cities. They most likely, big regions of those, most likely did not hear of Jesus yet. So how did Jesus, what's the simple approach of Jesus expanding his territory on this earth? People come into an encounter with him. They get set free. They say, hey, I want to be a part of this because of, you know, this feels right. And so, and he says, no, you go out back where I already sent you from. It's those areas. How many of you know if he was a teacher, I hope he wasn't a teacher in this condition, but if he was a teacher, he would have told his students about it, right? If he was a doctor, he would have told his patients about what have happened. If he was in the business world, he would have told his business partners what would have happened. He was sent back into his own territory to expand that territory, and he went even further with it. He went into the 10 cities where they would, he would share what Jesus had done in his life. And I believe many, many people came to Jesus because of that. Are you seeing how this happens practically, folks? There's a transformation that happens in you for the purpose of you going out to demonstrate his kingdom across this earth. So the Bible says that we would actually do the same works as Jesus would. And that seems like a pretty daunting task, doesn't it? Like, God, that you would actually use me to pray with somebody and they would give their life to Jesus. You would actually use me to pray with somebody and they wouldn't have pain anymore. You would actually use me to pray with someone who's been tormented in their mind for so many years. And at the end of your prayer, the person's sitting there in their right mind. And they say, oh, I want to follow you now. No, (laughs) take what Jesus has given you. And you go back to your territory, your sphere of influence. And do what only you can do because Jesus empowered you. I want you to stand at this time before we go into a time of worship. I just want you to stand. I want you to bow your head and just close yourself off with the Lord for a moment. Don't worry about anybody else that's next to you. <clears throat> I just want to ask you a question here. You have territory. It's called your heart. That's the territory that you are equipped to manage. I just want to ask you today if that territory of your heart currently has King Jesus sitting on the throne. If there's a flag and it says Jesus across that flag of your heart. Maybe you've never ever made Jesus the king of your life? Maybe he was years and years ago, and you know that you've just walked away. Maybe you've slid back up on that throne, and maybe you're taking that territory over for yourself instead of for him. If you have not made that decision for Jesus yet, if you've never made him king of your heart, 
or if you know that you're far away from him at this point and you just want to come back, I just want you to raise your hand. I want you to look up at me today. I just want to spend a moment to pray for you before we go into worship. I see these two hands here. Thank you, Lord. I see another hand here. Thank you. I see you over here in that section too. Thank you very much. Anyone else? That's good. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. That's awesome. You can put your hand down. That's good. Anyone else? Okay. I see you. That's good. Anyone else? You guys can put your hands down. Thank you so much. Anyone else? You just want to know that Jesus is king of your heart. I see you. Thank you for being bold and honest. It's awesome. You just want Jesus to be on the throne of your heart. Anyone else? It's so good. This is what I'm going to do. This prayer is not magical. It's just a word that you can agree with in faith. So I'm going to ask you, if you raised your hand today, I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. Whether you've been born again, you're still, you're still born again, you're just far from him, or you're giving your life to Jesus as the, very, as the very first time. I'm gonna say this prayer, you can repeat it after me. Then I want you to come forward when we worship today. There's gonna be altar team up here that could just pray with you. There's packets that can help you take your first steps with Jesus. We're gonna help you along with Jesus, walking with him. I want you to repeat this today. God, today I confess that I have sinned against you and that I need a savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of all my sins and that he was raised from the dead so that I would have new life in him. I choose to die to my sinful ways and my selfish ways. And I choose to follow Jesus as he transforms me into God's image that I was created for. I now surrender my life to Jesus, making him my Lord, and I receive him as my Savior. I believe I am now a child of God, a new creation, born again spiritually into the eternal kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Let's celebrate for these folks that made a decision today. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.